Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. We're coming to you after the Revs fall 2-0 to Nashville SC. I'm Chris Lucas. Joining me today, as usual, is Sean Donahue. Sean, how are you doing this evening? Man, you know, uh, a week ago, we were so high on the Revs, and I, I played the uh, the devil's advocate to uh, Greg's question about the Revs being for real. And I think now the, the devil's advocate view might be adopted by a few more people after that performance on the Revolution we watched today <laughs> yeah it seems uh you know maybe the devil has uh has come out come to fruition here um today's game was uh something else uh i wanted to make a note too uh greg johnstone is not able to join us uh for this for this week's podcast but uh I don't, maybe maybe it's for the better uh what a doozy what a doozy he's gonna miss so I, i'm just thinking he's been uh making fun of you for a while for costing the revolution the the open cup uh, opportunity the open cup was canceled because of you so i i think now he's going to use this as an opportunity to try to claim that the revs only win when he's in the podcast <laughs> or you know what i'm gonna say you know when he's not in the podcast the revs um are losing so because he's not here it's his fault uh, and everyone right should go and tweet at Real G Johnstone, and please uh, return return a favor because I've been feeling the heat lately. Um, anyway, we got we got a lot to cover today, and a, a ton of viewer questions or listener questions rather have uh, have been coming in. So we'll touch on a few points, and then we'll jump into the into the questions. But before we get there, do you have any takeaways? What what do you got? Yeah, I mean, and I think I'm going to knock out a, a couple of the questions. This is might be might be the the longest list of questions we've had in, in quite some time. So I think my, my takeaway will knock out a couple of them. Uh, Cleggy on Discord asked us at this point if it's better for the refs to try and have Keys to start at, at a four four two or just go back to a four two three one with Bo being a sub or playing on the wing. And Mike Kennedy also asked which decision cost the revs more: the four four two formation or failing to adapt to Nashville's tactics after the half. And and my takeaway from this one is is a bit of a repeat of what I was saying last week. Um, and that's the four four two doesn't work for the revolution uh, when Carly's heel is healthy. I think when you look at this revolution lineup, um, it's very difficult for them to put Buxa, Bo, and Heel out there at the same time and give the revolution you know their best chance of winning. I think it's it's become clear that the four two three one is in fact the revolution's best formation. It allows Carly's heel the kind of the space to to be in that central role, have the wingers beside him, have more freedom to to go forward and less concerned about defending because you know there's nine other guys in the pitch defending and the striker in front of him as opposed to having two guys in front of him and then really having to have more of role defending um, or playing as a winger. Um, it, it opens everything up for Carly's heel, and we saw that against Atlanta, and then we saw it today in which, you know, Nashville was able to do a much better job of, of shutting Carly's heel down. Um, and we also saw Gustavo Bo be, you know, pretty invisible in this match, especially early on. I think, you know, uh, something like 20 minutes in, I looked and he had three touches and, and zero pass attempts, which is, you know, not very good for one of your designated players that you expect to be, you know, a key person in, in helping you win that game. Um, it's just abundantly obvious to me that the Revolution have more balance in their team um, and more cohesiveness in their attack when they're playing that 4-2-3-1 formation. And Carles heel benefits from it, um, and the Revolution winners benefit from it, and I think the Revolution benefit from it defensively, too. Uh, it's just the whole team works better that way. They're better at keeping possession. They're better at creating 
chances. You know, you know, Chris, you brought up the point last week. Or I think it was you that that said, you know, if if you're going to play that one striker, you kind of need your striker to be finishing, and we haven't seen enough of that from Buxa. Um, that needs to change. But you know, despite that, I don't think they're better off playing a four four two where neither Bo or Buxa are getting on the ball very much, and neither of them are getting many chances. Um, you know, both of those are guys that. You know, they're very helpful to your team when they're scoring goals and when they're not scoring goals, um, you know, your team, is, they're not providing that much else to the team um, other than, you know, offensively. So in a game like this, when you have kind of two of those guys, uh, it really puts your team in a difficult situation when, uh, especially, when, you know, when Nashville's attacking and playing well. Last year, we saw a Nashville team that bunkered in defensively and didn't really do much on the on the attack. This year, Nashville's venturing forward a bit more and, and looking a little more dangerous. Um, but you know, just in general, I think it's it's clear to me that the four two three one is the best formation for the Revolution. It, that may mean that one of your three DPs sits. I think that's is what it does mean. Um, Gustavo Bo probably sits for for you know games when everybody's healthy. Um, but the four four two, they've tried it. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that spot on. The four four two is it's just it's not producing when when you think about the formation as a whole and the players that we have to fill those spots in theory on paper, it looks like it, it should be producing. Uh, but I think that the eye test and the score sheet test uh, has proven that it's, it's not working. Uh, so uh, fully on board with that take uh, for me, my takeaway uh, and you kind of touched on it a bit uh, last week, the team showed that they had a little bit of cohesiveness offensively. Um, but this week it, it looks more dis- discombobulated again. Everyone on the attack didn't know what everyone else wanted to do. They were all running their own independent game plans. Uh, it was it was just a messy overall uh, overall game, and I I don't know what it is. It, it kind of feels maybe that players are are playing slightly out of position. You know, uh, Bo, for instance. What what is his natural position? I I don't know. I think it's more like a false nine type uh, type striker. But we were either playing him all the way up top, or we're playing him out in out in the wing, or as a cam. And it, he doesn't really have a, like a dedicated spot that he's sitting in. It, and it just kind of goes around. We have you know Tejon Buchanan, for instance, uh, coming in to play right back. This is the third position that he has started at in four games. Uh, it's it's a little bit confusing, I guess. Uh, as a, as a fan and viewer of this team to to try to understand what they're doing, and I can only imagine that it's going to create more problems for the team itself to try to create that bond. Um, it's still early doors, you know. <laughs> we're only four games in, so I'm not ready to like panic yet. But there's a lot of red flags, uh, and I think the team needs to to get a lot better playing with each other um, because what we saw tonight just wasn't wasn't enough. You make a good point that he's Bruce Arena. It seems to me is trying to get the best eleven players that the Revolution have onto the field at all times, and that doesn't lead to the Revs' best formation. That doesn't lead to the best team for the Revolution, um, because you know Tejan Buchanan easily one of the Revs' top players. Gustavo Bo easily one of the Revs' top players. Um, Adam Buxa, in theory, should be one of the Revs' top players. I think he probably is, uh, even though the scoring's not there right now. Carlos Hill, you know, Revs' best player. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's best thing for the Revolution if all those guys are out in the field. And the thing is, when you look at the Revolution's 
schedule. You know, it's one thing when they're playing every, you know, one, one game a week, but now they're getting into the busy part of the schedule. You know, why don't you look at the kind of you know, the revolution that they're playing three games in a week? Why don't you consider the fact that, you know, maybe the revolution are better off if Adam Buxa plays this game and then rests the next game and Gustavo Bo plays as the striker. And you can still get your guys a lot of minutes. It's a busy schedule, um, even if they're not all starting. So I don't think that it's a waste to have Gustavo Bo on the roster if you're not starting him. Um, you know, it's going to be a very busy schedule and you can rotate and give guys minutes at different times. And, you know, with your strikers, if one of them's not playing well, swap them out. There's a lot of different things you can do to get these guys in the field without necessarily starting all of them every single game. Um, but it seems like up to this point that that's been Bruce Arena's goal is to find a way to fit all of those guys in the field at the same time. And I, I don't think that's the best thing for the revolution. And I think that's why, you, you know, you, like you said, you kind of see a lack of cohesion because he's having to put kind of, you know, square pegs and round holes to make it work. And it, it's not working. Yeah, that's ex- that's exactly how I'm feeling about it. The only thing I would say is I'm not a fan of like rotating players through a position, I guess. If the player earns that position, I would like them to be there more consistently. But I understand that maybe this is a unique scenario where we have three, four, five players trying to get into three natural positions. And you either have to have that natural rotation uh, or you need to start squeezing them where they don't belong. Um, and I'm not convinced that uh, that Bruce has made the correct decision so far with those. But uh, I don't get paid to make those decisions. So I just uh, talk about them. <laughs> Um, it's, a t- it's a tough decision to make to potentially bench one of your designated players who's you know proven to be an extremely talented guy. Um, but I, I think that's the best thing for the team. Yeah, I, that's my take as well. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on board with not necessarily starting Bo. Um, especially lately, uh, I saw a, a tweet from, uh, from Seth Maycomer earlier today uh, outlining the decline in average shots year over year. Um, he was over four shots in 2019 per game uh 2020 it was three and a half or something around there i don't have the actual stats up in front of me and so far this year he's averaging i think 1.2 shots per game um and that's that's a rapid decline so uh maybe that's something that needs to change if, if bo's gonna play he needs to start putting the ball on frame uh but if he's not putting the ball on frame i am totally okay with him not starting and i i think bo as a super sub is a game changer. So if you have that luxury, uh, I don't know why you wouldn't experiment with it. And and that was the big problem for me today is that they, you know, tried that four four two again. It didn't work. And then you get to halftime and Bruce Arena's got a really terrible decision to make because, you know, I think they need to switch to the four two three one at halftime. But now you're in a situation where you're down a goal and do you take Gustavo Bo off when you're down a goal? Do you take one of your designated players whose you know goal is to or you know whose role really is to kind of create goals out of nothing and when he's at his best can do that? Um, it, it put them in a really awkward spot because when you when you start with all those guys in the field and you go down a goal and it's not working, what, what do you do? Um, and I think you know I think Bruce should have at halftime perhaps taken off Gustavo Bow and switched to a four-two-three-one. Um, that's a really hard decision to make. Where you know on the, on the opposite side, if you'd start with a four-two-three-one and you needed a goal, um, it's nice to have Gustavo Bow there and available to do that. I will say too, according to FootMob, Gustavo Bow had the joint lowest rating on the whole entire team with a five-point-nine. Um, actually, I, I, I correct that joint second lowest because Matt Polster had a 5.5 and I think uh, that's probably due to that really bad pass that led to the second goal for uh, yeah, for and Nashville if, and if you go by who scored you had the, the second lowest rating on the revs after Polster with a 
Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it was not a good outing for Gustavo Bo. Um, but before we uh, completely beat this dead horse of the 4-4-2 formation, let's uh, move on to the next thing here. It, overall, I mean, I, we can agree it was a negative performance uh, by the team, but what do you have as some bright spots that maybe we can take away? I mean, one of that is that, you know, Nashville committed some difficult fouls in the revolution and it seemed like the guy had nobody getting hurt. So I guess mm. that's a, a positive. I, I, I know we were talking before and, I, you know, Matt Turner went down a couple of times and it looked like, like that could have been worse than it was. Buchanan got hacked down from behind when he was breaking free. And I think he was fortunate that, well, he was limping a bit after that, but I think, I think he's probably okay. So, you know, that's, that's a kind of a baseline positive is that I don't think anyone got, you know, too seriously hurt in this game. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to find positives in this one, except maybe that, you know, this game could be the wake up call for Bruce arena that the four, four, two just isn't going to work. Yeah. To that point, actually, you know, uh, on the uh, on the broadcast, uh, Charlie Davies said, "Thankfully, uh, they'll have a short memory about this, and you know they have they have a midweek game coming up, and they're not going to have to dwell on this. But I I kind of want them to dwell on it a bit. I want them to, to this to fuel them, right? I mean, how how else are you going to be getting motivation to do better than to be thinking about the times that you did really bad? Um, I, I I would like them to see." I would like to see them use this as motivation to do better and not necessarily forget that it happened. Well, let, build off let's it. take, let's take the kind of the counterpoint that I made last week to, to Greg's point. And that's, you know, you, you go back now and you look at the revolutions four games, they tied a Chicago team that I believe is lost every game since um, they got a win against DC with, I think 0.2 expected goals off of an own goal. And they had a very good performance against Atlanta, but it was an Atlanta team that was coming off a midweek game and was, you know, resting several of their best players. Um, so you follow that up with a, a loss to Nashville, and all of a sudden, you know, those opening results don't look quite that impressive. And you almost wonder if after those three games in which, you know, again, I think only one of them qualifies as a really good performance, that was the Atlanta win, um, the Revolution maybe got overconfident because everything was coming out with these power rankings and the Revs are the, the second-best team in the league, they're top of the Eastern Conference, look at how great they are, and then they kind of put out a dud against Nashville where you know, Bruce Arena said for the first 30 minutes of the game you know, they were outplayed at every position. Um, so you almost wonder if they went into this game overconfident, you know, here's this second-year team, Nashville, that's you know, not a bad team, but not at our level because of how well we're playing and maybe underestimated them. And, and maybe this game will serve as a wake-up call that, you know, the Revolution might be a good team, but they're not good enough where they can just, you know, sleep on any opponent. Yep, absolutely. I think this was, um, I guess, a trap game, you might call this, too. Although, you know, Nashville, what they had three ties coming into this. So um, it's hard to really gauge, I guess, where they're going to fall on the standings. You know, they're a solid defensive team. But I think you got to give kudos to Nashville. They did play a good game. Um, we're going to beat up the revolution a bit tonight on this on this pod, but um, Nashville Nashville earned that win. Um, yep. So kudos to them. Um, one other one other point that we want to talk about before jumping into these questions, the attacking duo, Bo and Buxa, we, we briefly touched on it, but I mean, what what are your opinions? Were they good enough? Yeah, I mean, Bo was invisible for parts of this game, especially early on. He He kind of came into it more as the game went on. Um, but I, like I said, there was one point, I think it was like 20 minutes in where he had three touches and zero passes, um, which is just not anywhere good enough. And, you know, some of that falls on his teammates, not finding him, but also he's, he's got to get good spots. Um, and, and Buxa, I think later on, I, I noted that Bo's touches had gone up and 
he was all of a sudden jointly tied with Buxa for the least amount of touches in the game. Um, so I don't think either of them contributed enough. But Buxa finished the game with, with 30 touches, which actually for him isn't that low of a total, I think. And he did end up hitting a post. Um, I, I think the, actually the chance where he hit the post was a really good chance that you know he's going to want back and, and probably wish he scored on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other play with Buxa, too, um, I'm looking now, Buxa had five shots, zero on target. That's not great. Um, but the other play was the one where, you know, he thinks he probably should have a penalty kick. Um, and, you know, I think he probably should have. It was a, a close call. And I, I, I get why the fact that he didn't make it on the field. Um, and then I went to VAR that maybe they would have decided it wasn't clear and obvious. I think if that was a penalty call on the field, it absolutely stands. Um, we can talk more about that later. But even on that play, I thought Buxa should have gotten the shot off more quickly because yep. the ball falls to him. He takes a touch and then he like hesitates and he clearly doesn't want to do it with his right foot. Uh, he tries to set up his left foot, but he's, you know, a few feet out from goal. Uh, you know, even if that was a penalty kick, you like to see him be a lot more clinical on that. Um, so I don't think they were involved enough. And I also don't think Buxa did well enough with his chances. It's hard to, to you know, be too harsh on a guy for hitting the post. But I think that was one where he got himself in a good position. And you'd like to see him finish. And then I think that chance that maybe should have been a penalty kick, I, I would have liked to have seen him put it away before he ever got fouled. I 100% agree on that. Uh, that's one thing that, that annoyed me about that that call. And I know we will talk about that a little bit later, but why why didn't he just take the shot? You know, his foot was going. He stopped swinging his foot yeah. to fall on the ground. So um, that was a bit frustrating. And then uh, Gustavo Bo, one thing to mention here, you said that uh, Adam Buxa did have five shots with none on target. Um, uh, Gustavo Bo had one total shot. Um, and I'm not sure if it was on target or not. Uh, Off target. It was blocked. It's blocked. And uh, his his expected goals for you know he's playing striker. His expected goals was zero point zero four um, over seventy six minutes, and that's not what you want. Um, well, so, and, and if and if that's the case, what else is he providing for you in this game? Yeah, uh, it wasn't a whole lot. Um, what was his his past success seventy eight percent? So uh, it's, it just wasn't wasn't was not a good game um, at all. Um, he was just dispossessed three times too. I was looking for that stat and, you know, not something that you want to see. Two of the three times he was dispossessed was his first three touches of the game, which was, so, it was a very bad start for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think we can agree. I think that maybe they weren't good enough tonight. Uh, Buxa definitely had a better game than Bo, but, uh, overall, both of them, uh, could have and probably should have done a lot better. Um, moving on, we got listener questions now. Um, like, like we mentioned at the top of the show ton of questions came in thank you everyone for for leaving your questions over on twitter and discord uh hopefully we're going to get through all of them if we missed your questions we apologize um there was a there was a lot to go through so uh, i'm gonna start off with with mike kennedy over on twitter this question so uh, it's it's a pretty vague question but uh so what went wrong uh, sean i'm gonna i'm gonna let you start with this one and see what you got well, we, we said the formation covered that topic. Yep. <laughs> so we'll go back into that. Um, we talked about overconfidence. I think that was it was part of it. Um, you know, and then Bruce Arena said they were outplayed in every position for the first 30 minutes, which I think was true. And you're going up against a Nashville team that we, you know, as we talked about, is very good defensively. That was their calling card last year. Um, you know, they allow less than a goal per game. And if you fall behind in Nashville, it's very hard to dig yourself out of that hole. They're going to make that very hard for you. They're a very good team at playing with a lead. And, you know, a bad start for the revolution led to them falling behind and then trying to come back against a Nashville team that's, you know, perfectly content to 
play defense and and make things difficult for you and you know, kind of draw pressure on without collapsing. Um, it, it was a very hard task for the Revolution. Uh, and I think that's what went wrong for the Revs. They they got off to a slow start. The formation they got the formation and the tactics wrong for Bruce Arena got that wrong, um, and they fell behind. And then when you fall behind against Nashville, it, it's going to be a long night. Yeah, the only other thing I think I would add is uh, it feels like they they're they're trying too many new things. Um, uh, Bruce probably has you know his his long long term game plan that he's that he's going for, and he's trying to implement some changes now rather than later, which is. Uh, you know, the way that you probably should be addressing that if you have a different way to approach, uh, you know, game plans and uh, the way that you want to you want to take on future opponents. But uh, a lot of that that change, you know, Brandon by not playing and uh, Tejan instead taking his place, uh, Gustavo Bo is back on the pitch and it's just a completely different team from last week. So week to week, you, you need a little bit more consistency out of the roster, I think. Um, but you got to put a lot of this on the players too. That was just a poor, poor performance. Uh, Ronnie, Sw- Ronnie Smalls, excuse me, over on Twitter. Uh, the second goal was the equivalent of the second baseman not backing up the overthrow from the catcher in Little League. And as a Little League second baseman who's gotten blasted for that 1,000 times, I blame Turner for that goal. Um, is he to blame for that giveaway goal? I mean, uh, most of the blame goes to Polster, right? <laughs> for the, for the yeah. bad turnover. Yep. <laughs> But I, I think when I first saw it, I didn't I didn't notice that from Turner. Um, but then when I watched the replay and I think Charlie Davies called it out a bit, um, if, if you watch Turner goes over to provide you know, support or the right side of the, the balls on the right side, he goes over to provide support. If they wanted to pass it back, he was there. That's great. And then Polster passes it back into the mid, middle. Turner is very flat footed. He doesn't follow the path. Um, you know, even if the pass wasn't a turnover, he should be getting back to the middle. The ball's going back to the middle. He was very slow to do that. And then, you know, oh crap, the ball's turned over and he sprints back to, to get back in position, but it's you know, too little too late. So I, I think he does get some blame, but at the same time, uh, Polster gets most of the blame in my book because that was a terrible turnover. Yep. And I think part of this, this turnover, um, goes back to, uh, more of my points, you know, the lack of cohesion, um, Captoon came on in the 64th minute. Uh, to replace Maciel, and uh, it was clear, at least on that play, that Polster thought that Captoon was doing something different, and Captoon thought that Polster was doing something different. And there was a obvious miscommunication. Um, with I, I, I can't imagine that it was just that bad of a pass by Matt Polster. Um, it was, you know, uh, what ten yards behind him, um, behind Captoon. That is so. Yeah, it's just the communication, the getting to know each other, the, the chemistry, it's it's just still not there. And and that's not an area where you can afford that, that type of a mistake. No, not at all. Uh, midfield needs uh, uh, we've said this before and I think we have a question coming up on this too. It's just we have we have so many midfielders and it's just a rotating door. Um so we need more consistency in my opinion. Um you, you just, it's such an important and integral part of the pitch. You you can't just I don't know. It, it can't be a revolving door or, you know, like a, a committee, uh, you know, like a like a we're making baseball references. So, it's, you know, like a, a, a bullpen by committee or whatever it is, a closer by committee. All right, well, I tried I, to make a baseball reference. I'm sorry. No, you're but it's a, it's a good one because you're 100 percent right. It's a, it's you know, you, you think about positions that you can get away with. You know, we talked about rotation earlier that you can get away with rotation. And, you know, there are some I think you can 
you can if, you know, if you have a couple of good wingers, you can swap out a winger, and I don't think it's going to impact how you play too much. Um, but the center of the field, and that's I'm talking about your center backs and your central midfielders, are so key, and cohesiveness is so key at those spots in particular um, that those are the ones where you're having a lot of changes, uh, and you have guys that aren't on the same page. You know, mistakes in those positions is where you really get burned. Um, so if you don't if you don't have a cohesive central midfield and, you know, Captoom hasn't had much of a chance to play with Polster or, or with anybody for that matter, um, mm. you know, that that becomes a problem. And we certainly saw it in this game. Yep. Uh, 100%. Um, all right. Moving on. We got uh, James Downing again over on Twitter. Uh, and it's not so much a question, but um wanted to make a comment. Sean was right about Bo last week. He's DP worthy, but he's not what the team needs. Their best formation is Hill Central and Bo on the bench. Davies made the point today. The Revs can't have two strikers who stand there waiting for service. Um, yeah, 100% agree with that. Uh, I don't know if much comment is needed, but uh, do you have anything that you wanted to say, Sean? No, no, I appreciate James agreeing. <laughs> that's, that's still very much my take, and it was interesting. I, I tweeted something similar to that uh, early in the game, and then two seconds later, Charlie Davies started thinking the saying the same thing. Uh, so yep. it was, I, I, glad to have reaffirmation of my uh, view on that one. <laughs> Uh, and James went on to say that he's uh, he's not panicking, uh, but you can't ar- can't you argue that this was the Revs' first test of the season? Chicago and DC aren't good, and Atlanta uh, were fixture congested and without key players. Um, and it, you know, I guess you could say maybe that's that's the case. Uh, I I still think Atlanta was more of a test than what everyone is saying that they were. Uh, I know that they the fixture congestion maybe had a lot to play with it. Uh, maybe they had some tired legs, but. Um, they still ended up playing uh, most of their key players. I'm pretty sure they played all of their key players, actually. Um, I know well, they no, suffered some they injuries. They didn't start them, but a lot of them came in off the, off the bench. Exactly, yeah. that's. I guess that's what I was referring to. And uh, off the bench, they didn't make much of an impact where you'd think that maybe they'd make more of an impact. Um, so I, I don't know if it was their first test. Um, and I, I think DC is also better. <laughs> What's that? You, you can't argue it was their first Oh, you're right. Uh, I apologize, James. I apologize. I'm not allowed to argue. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I would argue that, but um, I, I also agree with a little bit with the take. So, Yeah, no, I know. I would. I think you can definitely make the case that this was the first test of the season and they failed it. Um, I think Wednesday is going to be another huge test for them against the Philadelphia team on the road. If they, if they go into Philadelphia and, and get a good result out of that, I think you can kind of forgive the performance in this game and, and think a lot more positive. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think Nashville on the road was their most difficult game of the season so far. And they, and they, you know, failed that test. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they got a, a really strong test coming up in the next two games as well. Like you said, uh, Philadelphia, and then of course, Columbus crew after that. Um, and that's going to be, uh, you know, schedule congested congestion as well. So uh, we'll see how the revs um, bob and weave with that. Um, staying over on Twitter, we got David Sobilon. I apologize if I'm saying your name wrong too, but uh, was by benched uh, a tactical mistake. I thought they looked much better when he played uh, Sean. I'll let it go to you first. I mean, they, they definitely looked better last week when he played. Uh, I don't know if that was because of him, um, although he you know he did score the goal. Uh, you know, it was, it was funny before the game. I was texting Greg, and Greg questioned whether or not by being benched was because he gave up that PK, that sloppy PK in the game. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but it's possible. Um, I don't I don't know that right back was the Revs' biggest problem in this game. I don't know if Brandon By plays in this game over Tejan Buchanan um, if that solves anything. 
Uh, I actually thought Tejan Buchanan defensively was, was for the most part, okay. I don't think yep. that was really the, the problem here. Um, at the same time, we saw Brandon Bay come on late and, and almost score in a set piece. Uh, so, so they were missing that. He is, a, you know, a danger man with his, his heading ability, particularly, you know, on set pieces. Um, you know, I, I don't know that that was the mistake the Revs made in this game. Um, I think if the Revs were playing their, you know, the 11 that I would have played, the, the tacks I would have played, which would have been more like what they played against Atlanta, he's probably starting. Um, but specifically the fact that Buchanan was at right back over by, I don't think that's, that was what the problem was in this game. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not where the problem was. And uh, I do want to give kudos to Tejan because he did perform fairly well defensively. Uh, I will say he won six of 11 duels that he faced. Uh, he had four clearances. Um, and uh, he wasn't a liability. Like, you know, that's the, the word that I've been using. I just I just recently dropped a video over on Rev's Revolt talking about Tejan Buchanan saying what should what should the Revs do with him. And, uh, you know, spoiler, I think uh, no one's going to go watch it. So I'll just spoil it anyway. Um, the My conclusion is that I, I want Tejan to play right wing and I'd like to see Bo on the, on the bench, but I don't want Tejan playing right back because he's a defensive liability. Um, well today he kind of shut me up on that. Um, so yeah, credit to Tejan, um, showing that he can actually defend. So, okay. Uh, staying over on Twitter, John Useglio says, what is Gustavo Bo's best position? How does he fit into the four, two, three, one, which seems to be our best formation. Is he coming on, excuse me, is he coming in off the bench or alternating starts with someone on, one of the wings or as the striker. So I guess there's a, a couple of different questions in there. Um, so how does he fit into the four, two, three, one, I think is where we should start. Um, and I, I mean, I kind of just alluded to it. I think that he belongs on the bench in in a four, two, three, one, um, at least from the starting 11 perspective, I'd like to see him more as a super sub. Uh, I think that he would provide a lot more value to the revolution in that sort of role. Uh, not to say that, you know, Gustavo Bo's best days are behind him, but um, I don't think that, you know, he's not getting any younger. Um, let's put it that way. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think coming off coming off the bench seems to be the best, and that answers your, your second question or your third question there as well. Uh, I, I don't know. I, Sean, you, you mentioned earlier that maybe he should be alternating starts, um, which is the ending of John's question here. So I don't know. What, what do you think? What do you, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. I don't, I don't think he has a great position in a four, two, three, one, unfortunately. Um, I think if he does have a best, I think his best position in the four, two, three, one probably is as a, as the one. Um, and he's not the same type of one as books. obviously, but I think if, you know, if books is not healthy or books is in a run of bad form, I think giving Bo a chance to, to run out there makes sense. Um, again, it's kind of a different style because you're not, you know, with, with Buxa, you expect him to win a lot of balls in the air. Um, and with Bo, you, you probably don't. Um, but I think, you know, I, I don't like him as a winger. I know we've seen him there at times kind of cutting him from the left. I think he's too much of a defensive liability. And I also think he can kind of drift out of the game too much for someone playing that role. Um, so I don't like that. Um, you know, I, I see two things here. Like I said, I could see him rotating up top if Bux is, you know, for whatever reason, Bux is out of form, Bux is not healthy. Um, and the other thing is, I think, you know, his real best formation is as a second striker, um, but not 
in the system the Revs are playing. Um, because I think you have too many guys that kind of want to fill in that roaming role. You have Carles Hill that wants to play that kind of that roaming role um, in, and be on the ball. And Gustavo Bo kind of wants to roam. And I don't think you can have that many guys doing that. Um, but if Carles Hill, you know, worst case scenario, if Carles Hill's out for a few games, which, you know, obviously is a nightmare for the Revs, I, I think going back to a 4-4-2, with Books and Bo makes more sense when then you have two you have two real wingers on the field for the Revs and you know two central midfielders like a you know Captum or Pulse or whoever they are and then you have Bo kind of playing as the roaming second striker I think that works and I think that's probably actually the best role for him um, but that's you know your worst case scenario where Carlos Hill goes down with an injury um, but I, I think again the four two three one is the Revs best formation and I think uh, like Chris like you said I think coming off the bench is you know, when everyone's healthy and in form is probably where he belongs. Yep. I, I like the idea of him roaming as well, giving him the freedom to be where he wants to be, I think will also give him the ability to, to find space more um, instead of trying to play him in one position and making sure that he's covering another position. So, you know, playing as a secondary striker, that's not necessarily your main number nine, trying to win, you know, the aerial duels, um, and he's not trying to be a playmaker either, just kind of running around up there trying to find space. That's the best spot for Gustavo Bo. Uh, let him find his own space, get him the ball, and let him do what he does. Um, so, and the 4 2 3 1 doesn't really um, allow that to happen. So, and I'm not sure if there is a formation unless you want to go with a three back or a five back that will allow something like that. Viva La Revolution on Twitter. Uh, Give us your Rev CDM power rankings, assuming everyone's healthy. Uh, if we stick with two players in that role, who should be starting? So this is assuming, I guess, we're going with the 4-2-3-1. And we have what, Polster, Maciel, Captoon, Caldwell, Casado, And uh, am I missing one? I think, I think that's it. There's, there's so many people for that position that I sometimes have to double check when we're listing them off to make sure I'm not forgetting somebody. But I think, I Tommy think you McNamara. got it. Oh, McNamara. Yes, yes, yes. So we yeah. did forget. I mean, he's more—he's not so much <laughs> defensive, but um, you, we can we can lump him in there. Yeah, I I, I kind of read this question to be like CDM slash CM because I think you're kind of playing with a eight and a six sort of ish. Yeah. Um. So I kind of lump them all together. It, this is a tough question because we haven't seen everybody healthy, and we ha I don't think we've seen enough of Captum yet to make a judgment. So you're kind of basing off of his pedigree and assuming what he's what you think he's going to be. Um. And, you know, I saw someone make the suggestion, which was a suggestion that I was going to make. And that's I would really like to see Captoom and Caicedo get a chance to play together um, because, I, I, you know, in theory, Captoom is kind of that facilitator that can help link the defense to the offense. Again, I haven't seen enough of them to know that that's actually true, but I'm assuming a guy that went through the Barcelona system that that could be his role. Um, and assuming that's the case. You know, Caicedo is a guy that covers a ton of ground when he's healthy and he hasn't been healthy for a while. So that's a big, you know, if he's healthy and back to what he was, you know, he's a guy that can cover a ton of ground. Um, so I would like to see that and kind of put them as my top two. Um, the knock there is the thing we talked about that Chris and I talked about before is that, you know, those are two pretty short guys to have in that role. And Polster is the only guy that really has any height as central midfield for the reps, which is it's weird. And I think unfortunate. Um which, again, I think gives Polster an edge. But so if I'm kind of ranking and I'm, you know, pulling these out of a lot of assumptions because I haven't seen enough of Captoom, I haven't seen Caicedo be healthy in a very long time, I'd kind of go with Caicedo, or sorry, Captoom, Caicedo, um, Polster probably as the number three. Uh, and then, you know, Maciel seems to have pushed himself in Bruce Arena's rankings to be to the point where I probably have to put him as number four. I don't know that I'm... 
I've seen enough yet to to put him ahead of you know Caldwell. I still think Caldwell is a very serviceable player that's you know done a, a lot of good in Bruce Arena's system. I'm a little bit surprised that he's kind of been locked out of minutes entirely so far. Um, and for me, I think McNamara. Again, this is I don't think McNamara is a bad player, but I think he might fall last on my list um, for this role. He's a versatile guy that can provide a lot of coverage, a lot of places over the field. Um, but I don't think he necessarily kind of excels at any one position. He's just a you know, good depth piece. Um, so I guess that's my rankings, and I'm not very confident on those rankings. <laughs> All right. Well, I have my own rankings as well, and... I'm equally not as confident with them, um, but it's. I guess it's quite a bit different than yours. My my number one player, I guess, would have to be Polster. Uh, one because he got the size, um, so he has that advantage for him off the bat. Uh, and two, I, his versatility. You mentioned that with McNamara, but I like Polster's defensive versatility. He can slide into right back when needed. Uh, I saw him do it, you know, two or three times tonight, um, or this afternoon, I should say, and uh, it. Overall, he's been sound. I, yes, he made that one really bad pass, um, but I, I don't know if that all falls on him. If that you know, if he was looking at Captoon, thinking that Captoon was not going to run upfield or something, I, I don't know. There's there's too many ifs about that, and it could have just been a freak play. So I'm not going to necessarily hold that against him. Um, Polster would be my number one um, defensive midfielder that I would like, and then pairing up with him, I would like to see Captoon because. That's why he was brought in. And uh, from what little that we've seen from him, uh, he looks like he could really be a threat in midfield. Um, so I have capped him as my number two. Caicedo is my number three, um, it, assuming that we can get him in form uh, from what 2019, uh, what we saw of him then, because uh, uh, he he dominated the midfield. Uh, and as such a small guy to dominate the way he did, was it's just really impressive. Hopefully we could see him come back, um, you know, get healthy again and get back on the pitch. Uh, but then after him, I have uh, uh, I, I have a tie for fourth place. I think it's it's Maciel and McNamara. McNamara, I'd like to see him when where when we're needing a goal at the end of the game. Uh, he he likes to press. He likes to to drive up field. Um, I don't necessarily think of him as a as a central midfielder or defensive midfielder. I think of him as um, that sort of Gustavo Bo role where, where he can float around where he wants, except for the midfield. Um, and then uh, Maciel, if uh, if we're defending, I, I guess I'd pick him over McNamara. Although I guess I'd rather not, you know, change our DMs if we're winning. So Caldwell's last on your list? No, I said Caldwell uh, third. I think. Right. It was. Uh, I thought you had Kaiseido. I think you had Poster, <laughs> Captoom, and then Kaiseido, and I think you skipped Caldwell. <laughs> oh, maybe I did. Uh, I have. Um, I did. I, you know what? I did. I did skip Kaiseido. Uh, Caldwell. It's, it starts with the C A, and I was looking at my list. I'm like, no, I already did that one. Uh, so yes, you're right. I, I <laughs> we'll run through one more time. I got. I got Poster. Then I got Captoom. Then I have Kaiseido. Then Caldwell. And then it's a tie between Maciel and McNamara. So, so our lists weren't that different. The only difference was that you've got Polster at one and I had Polster at three, but our top three were the same. And I think our, our, our the players that were in the top three were the same. And then I think our bottom three was basically the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. <laughs> uh, but right. it's, 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 it's a, you know, there's so many ifs and assumptions in making those lists right now because we haven't seen enough of Captoom. And you hate to say it, but we haven't seen Kaiseido in so long that, you hope he gets back to that form, but there's no guarantee. 
Yeah, I mean, we saw him in the preseason a very little bit. It was a game that wasn't streamed. And the only thing that we got to see was uh, a highlight of him scoring an own goal, uh, which is not necessarily what you want to see out of your uh, defensive midfielders. Um, the, to be fair, I mean, it was a, a solid attempt to defend. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's all we've seen from him. Hopefully he gets back out on the pitch. Um, and, uh, yeah, can't wait to see him back. Uh Let's move, keep moving on. We still got a lot more questions to go. Christian Matthews over on Twitter. Was this just an unlucky match for us? We had an extremely close offside call that could have gone either way. Didn't get a PK that sure looked like a PK and a complete error back pass, which we've already talked about, uh, which led to Nashville's second goal. Um, if those three plays go away, the uh, the score could have been two to one revs. Um, I mean, there was some bad luck in it, certainly, but it was a bad performance. I wouldn't say just an unlucky game is kind of giving the Revs a free pass. They, you know, I think the expected goals was 1.5 for Nashville, 0.7 for the Revs. That's not an unlucky game. That's a game where you're outplayed. Um, so, you know, the PK call, sure. I think, I think to be honest, it would have been kind of a soft PK. Um, Buxa sold that. It, there was contact, but Buxa sold it. Um, so, you know, I, I, I get there was some bad luck for the Revs. I don't think it was a well-refereed match, um, but the Revs deserve the result they got. I'll, I'll agree with the the results was actually deserved. Um, it, it, I, there's no defending the performance that we saw, but uh, I, I'll go on the contrary and say that that, that penalty, it, it, I think it should have been called. I don't know why it wasn't called on the pitch. And when they looked at it on VAR, I still don't know why it wasn't overturned. Um, he looked at it for a long time. And uh, nothing came of it. I mean, when I'm seeing it, I'm seeing, I don't remember what defender it was that was coming in on Buxa. Um, but he's coming in, obviously he's playing the ball, but he comes right through and he hits Buxa's plant foot. Even though Buxa did flop, uh, still drives me crazy. I don't know why he did that and didn't just put his foot through the ball. Yeah, okay, he flopped, but it, it was still contact inside the box um, that... He, the defender was not going to get the ball. Uh, as much as he was obviously playing the ball, he was not going to get it, and he got the striker's plant foot. Um, you know, and uh, there was another question about this ex- as well uh, from over on Discord. Macho, Macho TM asked, uh, I'm not going to read it out because it's got some expletives in it, but same exact thing, you know, how was that not a penalty? And I, I'm in the same camp as Macho TM, uh, and I'm not really, I don't know, I, I, it, I'm just kind of furious a little bit about that. And um, I think we actually had another question about it too. So this was a highly, highly uh, talked about topic here. It was a, Andrew and Alston over on Twitter. It says no pen on VAR review. Um, and then he, he made another note to complain about three minutes of stoppage time, um, which yeah, that, uh, that, that infuriated me. It was my, you know, Reddit R slash mildly infuriating. Um, but as far as the, I don't know, I, I don't see, I can rant about it all night. I don't know why it wasn't a pen. Uh, Sean, maybe you saw it differently than I do, but yeah, it should have been a pen as far as I can see. I think they should have called it a penalty on the field. And I think if they did, it, it wouldn't have been overturned, but I, I, I see enough gray that I can sort of understand why the fact they didn't call it on the field, that they didn't say it was clear and obvious because, you know, books sold it. And because it, there was contact there, but I don't, I don't know. I, it, to me, it should have been a penalty kick, but I'm also, it's not the most outrageous missed VAR call I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that, that's a fair take. And at the end of the day, it would not have changed the outcome of this match. You know, the Revs did not play to win. They deserved to take away zero points. 
Um, okay, yeah, moving I, I, on. I'm just not. A, oh. I I agree that the refereeing was bad, and I, there should have been more stoppage time. But none of that is why the Revs lost. <laughs> oh, 100. percent Yeah, I, I don't care if there was 10, 15 more minutes of of stoppage time. Revs were not taking this one home. If if anything, uh, Nashville was gonna get another. So, uh, let's see. <laughs> Losing track of my questions now. Uh, Mark Diego Smalls over on Twitter. Uh, is Dewan Jones good enough right now? I don't rate him. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll take this question. And I, I would say, yeah, uh, he's totally fine. Maybe he's not going to be a star left back. Uh, maybe he'll develop into that. I still don't like the fact that you have a right-footed player playing left back. But yeah, no, I, he's good enough. He's got the pace to track back when need needed. He can defend. Uh, he can block crosses. Um, and he can do the job. Uh, could there be a better option? Absolutely. Is there a better option on this team? I'm not convinced that there is. Um, but I think I think he's um, he's I think he's good enough, you know, for an MLS left back. Uh, Sean, what about you? No, I completely agree with you. And I think the biggest problem I see with Dewan Jones right now is there's the chemistry with with Tristan isn't there um, offensively. And there were a few times today where I think they kind of got in each other's way. Um, where you know Tristan was kind of on the on the end line and Jones kind of just ran right by him like next to him almost too close and didn't really give him a great option and then Tristan was forced to make a pass where he kind of turned the ball over because he didn't really have another option Um, the chemistry is definitely lacking between those two and that's something that I think needs to be fixed and and you know not to veer too far off the topic but we saw today from from Tristan you know at least once one of the things that you were really hoping to see from, from what you heard was his ability to kind of cut inside and take a, you know, create a great shot for himself. And he did that in this game. He had a great shot that, you know, forced a good save from Joe Willis. Um, yep. I think it was one of the, one of the few good plays in the first half for the revolution. Um, and, you know, that was really impressive, but, uh, you know, going back to what we said last week and what you just pointed out is I do think that that, the fact that Dewan Jones is right footed and isn't really a threat to cross the ball with his left foot, you know, limits, um, what he can do as a left back and, you know, isn't great for what Tristison can do as a left winger. So, you know, whether those two can figure it out and develop chemistry, I think is a big problem. You know, independent of all that, Dewan Jones is a good enough left back for MLS. You know, maybe Moffla could be better than him. And the fact that Moffla has a left foot and can cross with his left foot, if he can get healthy and stay healthy, you know, I could see him combining with, with Tristison more going forward. Um, but I, 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 you know, Despite this being kind of a you know a couple of performances from Dewan Jones that weren't really standout performances, uh, I think he's he's good enough, and I wouldn't say I don't rate him. Um, but I you know I do think that's an area where the Revolution could potentially improve, and I do think that the chemistry of the left back with Tristison needs to improve, whether that's Dewan Jones or Mafla. Yep, hundred percent. Um, all right, so we got a comment now, I guess from any Revs UK over on Twitter. Um, he says, Bruce needs to stop trying to fit players into the team based on value. If they're not performing, hold them accountable and put um, some in who want to give it for the shirt. Um, and he asked for our thoughts, but it's it's basically the same thing that we've been saying. Um, not putting uh, a square peg in a round hole. Um, so uh, not sure if there's really a whole lot that we can add to that right now. I think we've kind of uh, uh, beaten that horse. Um so one other Twitter question we got was from Eric. He says, a bunch of my questions slash observations have already been made here. Why did it just feel like we got outworked for large portions of this game? Uh, is the away match effect back? Uh, I, I don't necessarily have a lot of opinion, I guess, either way as to the away match effect. 
Uh, I know last season, of course, felt like a bit of an anomaly. Um, Sean, do you have any opinion on that? No, I mean, I, I do. I do hate to say it, but I, like I said earlier, I kind of think that there could have been some overconfidence going into this game again with all of the hype surrounding the revolution that maybe wasn't completely earned yet. Um, and I think, you know, Nashville, again, as a team that on paper isn't that scary, uh, but has found a way to, to get results. You know, they haven't lost a game this season. They, it, their first season as a team, I, I don't think anyone looked at the roster and was too impressed by it, but they found a way to make the playoffs and have a, a you know, winning record. Um, so they're not a team that's going to roll over for anybody. And I think the revolution just came out of the gates, maybe overconfident. Um, and they did look, it looked to me like Nashville wanted it more, at least in those opening 30 minutes, it did look that way. Um, so, you know, my guess is that there might've been some overconfidence from the revolutions going into this game. Yep. I, and I think that's a, a, a good, a good guess to make. And, you know, as far as the away match effect, I mean, it's it's the second away match of the season. Uh, we drew one and we've lost one. So um, let's let's see a few more away matches before we start saying that, um, you know, away match effect is in place. But um, yeah, uh, uh, good question, though. All right. Sunday afternoon fullbacks over on Twitter. Uh, I think a lot of us expected a prolific attack this season with all the talent they have. Heel, Bo, Buxa, Arner, Tejan, Teal, etc. I still think it will happen at some point, but it hasn't clicked yet. What's missing? Is it as simple as play heel in the middle or something else? Um, Sean, I'll go to you on this. I'll defer. It's, that's part of it, I think. And we talked about that with the formation. I think playing heel in the middle is, is part of it. Um, they created more chances when they did that. And I think they will continue to create more chances when they do that. But it's not just that. It's also the other issue we talked about, which is the finishing. Um, and that, you know, Buxa, if he's the one, needs to be more clinical. You know, Bo, if he's going to be out there, needs to be more clinical and, and get more shots off. Um, so it's, you know, I think putting heel in the middle uh, makes things better for the Reds as far as chance creation. But, you know, even with that, the finishing needs to be better, and it needs to be better from from Buxa in particular. Yeah, and I think uh, one other piece maybe that needs to happen is chemistry. It seems to be the theme of the podcast. It's just there's no cohesion, there's no chemistry. Everyone seems to be playing their own individual game uh, instead of trying to play together. Uh, you know, we have the attackers, Buxa and Bo, whenever both of them get it, you, you can see it in their face. They're both thinking, I'm going to shoot and I'm going to score. Uh, they're not thinking, how can we get this ball into the back of the net as a team? They're thinking, I'm going to do it. And then uh, both of them lately have been hesitating far too much, taking maybe poor quality shots. Um, and then with Tristison, even, you know, he took his good shot that you mentioned earlier where he was cutting inside. But you could tell before he even started cutting inside that he was already eyeing to put it on frame. Um, and you know what? If you're going to be putting him on frame every time, take the take the damn shot. I'm happy for that, but it's a lot of individual games being played. I think Harley's heel is probably the one exception to that, um, where he's looking to play everyone else's game for them. And he says, oh, uh, well, how can I get Adam Buxa set up to score? How can I how can I set up Gustavo Bo or Tristison or hell, even Maciel? Um, he's looking to get the other players involved. And I think we need a lot more of that. Um, and the players need to be able to read themselves better. Again, chemistry, chemistry, chemistry. And I think that, you know, we have what one more question left. And I think that we're probably going to talk about chemistry again because uh, it's all we're talking about. Um, did you have anything else before I moved on to that last question? No, I think, I think you covered it. <laughs> okay. So Trevor Leahy over on Twitter 
why did it feel like I was watching an early Burhalter at USMNT try to play out of the back against Mexico? And this one hurts a little bit. It's kind of too soon. Um, did you watch that match, Sean, um, that U.S. men's national team? Unfortunately, I didn't. I, I had a similar but more recent comparison point. And it was <laughs> it pains me as a Spurs fan, but watching the, the Spurs Man City League Cup final, which out of what a week and a half ago, whatever it was, two weeks ago, uh, and you know the commentators there kept pointing out that Spurs kept trying to play out of the back and kept turning the ball over, and you know sometimes you just gotta try you know, some route one soccer when that's not working and boot it forward, um, and you can't always force it. But you know, like like you said, it goes back to chemistry, and it, it wasn't there, and the turnovers happen when the chemistry is not there, and when you have a team like Nashville that's gonna put a little bit of pressure on you and and try to press a bit. Um, you know, there's you got to be perfect if you're going to play out of the back. And the Revolution weren't perfect. And there were you know, more than a few times where I think the Revolution would have been better served kind of playing a long ball forward and, and you know, doing the safe play instead of trying to play it out. You know, even, even looking at that time we didn't talk about where, where Turner tried to shield the ball out of his box and, oh my God. Um, you know, ended up turning the ball over. And I think the Revolution, you know, you talk about uh, unlucky. Um, you know, Nashville might have been unlucky not to score on that play. Another one, uh, because Turner really botched that. I don't know if he thought the ball was going to keep rolling and go out of bounds faster uh, and, and the, the turf stopped it or something. But, um, you know, just kind of another example of the revolution trying to play too cute in the back um, and, and it, you know, potentially coming to burn them. Um, and you, you, you can't do that when the chemistry is not there. And I think, you know, the chemistry is not really there, which is when it comes to the, the defense, a little bit surprising because the defense is, you know, played together a lot now. The defense hasn't changed much when Jones is out there. Um, but it was it was probably more of the central midfield that was the problem in this one in their chemistry. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I completely get where Trevor's coming from with that comment. Yeah, and uh, I like that, you know, Greg's out for one week and you still, you managed to get that that Spurs comment in there. So <laughs> uh, I'll, be, I'll be sure to let Greg know that we've hit our quota for the month. Um, but yeah, the, I wanted to touch back. Uh, you brought it up that Turner play where he was shielding the ball. Uh, I watched that, and I, I play goalkeeper myself. I am nowhere near anywhere near as talented as any professional goalkeeper. Um, I, I don't want to try to say like I know better, but I would never do that. Maybe it's because I know that I would do even worse probably than what what Turner did. But what was he thinking, like? It just kick the ball. That's all. It's when you're that close, you have a defender coming on you. Kick the ball. Kick it out. Uh, there's no need to sit there. It, the Revs got really lucky to not concede a goal uh, in that moment. I mean, best case scenario, what you you get a, a goal kick instead of or a foul instead of you know having them have a throw in down the field if you had kicked down the field. I don't. I just don't. You know, you got to weigh the risk reward there, and uh, whatever was going on in Matt Turner's head was the the wrong weighing of that risk reward scenario. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just kick kick it up for a throw in, and you know, hustle back in that. Uh, I don't know. To me, that was an easy solution, but um, you know, it was not a good night for any of the boys, and I think that includes Matt Turner. Some uh, some news and notes to touch on before we we wrap this up. Uh, Mafla and Boateng were questionable in this match um, with lower body injuries. Not, no word on if they're going to be back or ready for uh, the midweek game or next week's Sunday game. And then Verfruth and Caicedo were also out with lower body injuries. Um, not questionable, just out. Um, so we got some injuries to, to, to focus on. Um, but other than that, no real other news or notes to talk about. Um, so I think that's going to really wrap it up Wrap it up for us today. Sean, did you have the, any other final Yeah, I just thoughts? wanted to say that the Caicedo one's the one that worries me a little bit because we saw him you know, come back in preseason and, and play some, and now to see him back on the injury report as, as out, 
um, is a little bit concerning to me because he, you know, we missed all of last year and you were hoping he'd come into this season healthy and work his way up and, and, you know, eventually see game action. So, you know, he's a young guy and to see him, you know, I think he's 24, going to turn 25 this month to see him back on the injury report is out is a, is a little bit troublesome to me. Uh, and then you have Mafla on the, on the, uh, injury report again as well. Um, right. and he came Glass in leg. with the nickname of glass legs. I know we're going to, you know, I, this whole podcast has been about talking about how the chemistry is not there and beating dead horses. And I, this I is another I, horse that's going to be beat dead. I, I think um, there's three players on that list that could have potentially helped the revs today. Cause I would have liked to have seen, you know, you talk about the left back situation, you know, Mafa could have potentially helped the revs today. Um, you know, you talk about substitutions off the bench. I would have liked to have seen, you know, Boateng as an option on the wing with, you know, his pace in this game. And then, you know, Caicedo would have given you something different. I, I, you know, McNamara came into this game, you know, maybe if the scenario was different, Caicedo is a guy that I would have liked to see get some minutes in this game potentially too. So, uh, I think there are three guys on that list that, that could help the revs, uh, which, you know, again, again, not an excuse for why the revs lost this game, but you know, just disappointing. Absolutely. And so was that your final thought or did you have something else you wanted to say? I think I think that's probably my, my final thought other than, you know, another huge game for the Revs Wednesday against Philadelphia where they can prove, you know, how good they actually are. All right. Yeah. My final thought is uh, I just want to see more Teal Bunbury. Uh, he seems to be the only player out there that's uh, really making the attack look uh, deadly or lethal or whatever synonym you wish to use. But uh, I want to see Teal, so. So that's going to do it. Uh, you can follow us over at Revolution Recap on Twitter and also like our Revolution Recap Facebook and Instagram pages. Also send us an email. Uh, RevolutionRecap at gmail.com is the place to do it anytime with your questions and comments. Uh, and if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Five stars, preferably. Uh, we'll be back next week as the Revs host the Columbus Crew on Sunday. And we'll also talk about the midweek matchup where the Revs travel to Chester, PA to take on the Philadelphia Union. Until then, thanks to everyone for listening and go Revs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.